Having a Gas With is the podcast that talks to the great and the good of the creative industries, and in particular finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for advertising, for dancing to, for cooking to, for f***ing to, and more. Today, I'm having a gas with Neil Williams. A keen music enthusiast in his spare time, Neil spearheads the film department in one of the largest and most prolific creative shops outside London, Havas Links. Neil, good to see you again. Hi, Greg. You all right? I'm doing all right. And uh, it's good to see you sort of, let's say, at home in the uh, perfect IKEA kitchen, you know, on display. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. So uh, looking forward to this. No, no, yeah, it's good. Uh, how has well, how's work been for the last couple of weeks? So obviously you're the head of film at Havas Links, and yeah. I'm guessing like most people I speak to in your position, so at the top of departments, there's no time off for lockdown. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's been quite intense over the last few weeks. Um, obviously, there was the initial push to get uh, everybody out of the buildings and, and into home working, um, which uh, you know we planned for and we'd made provisions for, and then all of a sudden, you know, it was go and, and away we went. Um, so yeah, it was uh, make sure the logistics worked, the workflows would work, and everybody got uh, home and equipment set up. And yeah, it's going really, really well. But um, yeah, no let off on on the work. It's been as busy as ever, which has been great. A lot more animations, obviously. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of filming going on, um, but. Uh, uh, yeah, we're switching to animations, we're switching to virtual congresses. Um, it's, it's really, really exciting stuff at the moment. No, that's good. I'm guessing I know a bit about Havas Links and maybe not everyone who is watching will be as familiar with it. So do you just want to give us a brief overview as to what the agency does? Because it's different from most agencies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we solely specialise in healthcare um, and we work for numerous global clients in healthcare. Um, but what we're doing is bringing advertising quality, advertising creative standards into the healthcare arena. We've been doing it for you know uh, a long time now and raising the bar of healthcare communications essentially. So, you know, making television quality adverts, television quality, you know, campaigns, uh, print campaigns as well um, that, you know, are, are in the healthcare arena. You know, which are not, you know, not as widely seen clearly um, as, as uh, you know, commercial sort of retail products. But, um, but yeah, the quality is up there, nevertheless. One thing I uh, was asking for, I suppose, was because I always like to know what people are preparing, what they're working on, especially obviously during lockdown season. But I'm guessing that because you're in the healthcare arena, um, it's not as straightforward to. Uh, sh share what's going on or preparing for. I imagine it's all a very confidential arena. Yeah, we do. We work in a you know a heavily, heavily, heavily regulated arena, um, and so you know often uh, you know we can only share our unbranded work. Uh, anything that's branded, um, we you know we have to keep behind closed doors. Uh, that's the regulation. That's what we all sign up to. And yeah, um, it's. Uh, but at the moment, you know, we we've got fantastic clients, and they're doing amazing work. You know, especially in current situation, um, we're doing some great campaigns, and um, yeah, hopefully making a difference to you know patients' lives to HCPs, uh, doctors' lives. So yeah, it's it's a really rewarding field to be in. Good, yeah. Well, the um, thing that I suppose is interesting to me, just in the, about the creative industry in general, and I, I'm wondering if this is the same for you and if it's the same across the industry, is 
if there is a tendency at the moment to plan a load of a load of shoots were obviously planned before March 23rd and then no shooting so is there like a load of stuff sort of in the stable waiting to go as soon as you can get a camera crew yeah. out yeah. yeah absolutely we've got uh, numerous projects you know in uh, the pre-production stages that like you say literally have just been put on hold um, and you know we're waiting for uh, guidance as it comes through we've got the APA guidance through um, and you know it's going to change the way we do filming um, for the for the short term uh, hopefully things you know touch wood will um, will resume back to normal service sooner or later but yeah um, absolutely we've got quite a few projects we've got shoots going on you know across Europe that as soon as we can you know safely enable them to happen then we will do um, exciting yeah I mean this is the thing isn't it because obviously I, I try not to read the news every day uh, and all the all day every day at the moment you see grim economic forecasts but I feel like basically everyone I speak to is like just waiting on the other side of the door for it to be unlocked absolutely. and they're like back out absolutely absolutely you know it's um you know, people still want good communications. People, you know, um, okay, we're adapting the, the methodology of how we're doing that at the moment. I mean, this is a very good example of that. Um, but, um, you know, people still want good communications, still want messages to get out there. And, you know, we're, we're here, we're, we're waiting to do that in, in the best way that we can. I think the, the um, I think what's happened brilliantly is for some of our larger, more creative campaigns, rather than watering them down and, you know, uh, filming case studies or filming you know uh, campaign pieces over zoom let's say or trying to get people to self-record um brilliantly we, we're pushing you know to let's just hold off and let's do them properly it's not going to be long do you know what i mean it's, yeah. it feels like forever now but if we look back on it you know let's hopefully it will be you know a, a six-month blip and we'd rather deliver the projects um to the best um that they can be and and if we have to wait to do that then yeah absolutely don't get me wrong you know um we've also you know accommodated and worked with um, you know uh, Zoom calls or you know Teams calls and, and done recordings of messages that need to get out because they've got a pressing timeline. Um, so you know we, we work in all the arenas um, and, and, and make the best that they can be under the circumstances. Great. Well, uh, I'm convinced. Should we um, <laughs> should we talk about some music? That's what that's what that's Want what to. I'm here for. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so I can't tell uh, with you because we don't get as much of a chance to talk about it. Uh, how fundamental is music in your life uh, generally before we go into the work? Do you know, I, I love it. Um, I've loved music since I was, I, I don't know, very early age. Um, and, you know, very big influence on my teenage years, um, still a big influence now. I mean, for me, you know, uh, music, I mean, if we do relate it to work, you know, the music can make or break a film. You know, it's setting the right tone, the right mood, the right pace. Um, really, really can, you know, make or break a film. Um, that's where you guys, you know, we, we partner with you guys quite a lot and um, get brilliant results every time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, on a personal note, yeah, it's it's, it's very inspirational. It, you know, it, you put something, you know, upbeat and funky on in the morning, you know, uh, and you put something, you know, a bit to, a bit slower and a bit sort of more chilled at night and winds you down, glass of wine, all that kind of thing. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big part of my life, I'd say. Yeah, it's interesting the way you say it can make or break a film. I spoke to Rory Sutherland at Ogilvy a couple of weeks back, and he said they ran this experiment where they would get people to select their top 10 favourite moments in film to prove yep. the point that about 70% of them would have really distinctive music. Yep. And so I don't know, I don't know uh, how, it's, how it has featured in your production, you know, your film production life. 
uh, as a rule, but what we're finding more and more is that people want to actually cut their film to the music, and obviously we're in the bespoke composition realm. There's no music at the start of the projects. So we're saying it should basically, we the track should be, uh, or it will be, 120 BPM. So here's yeah. a click track, and you can cut your film to that click track so you know it will always sync with the music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, um, it can it can work both ways. If you find the perfect track before you begin the edit and you know that it's going to work, you know it's absolutely set for that film sort of feel, for that film's, you know, um, the, 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 the message it's trying to convey, do you know what I mean? It's not too sad, it's not too happy, you know, which, if it hits the right note in terms of the film and the message that you're trying to convey, I think absolutely cut to it. But by the same accounts, yeah, um, a film shouldn't be edited to one track. You should be able to change the music or, um, you know, create a bespoke track to go with it. Absolutely, um, because you know you, your edit should be locked and and uh, and work whether the music you know um, is there. You can cut to a, you, know, you can cut to a click track. Absolutely. Yeah, and of course you've always we've all been in the situation where you get to the the final day and it's it's, it's sign off time and at one of the key decision makers at client side goes <laughs> the music not having that track exactly <laughs> uh, we've all been there I'm sure uh, and yeah it does it happens um, but I mean what I take from that I mean years ago I used to get quite frustrated about that situation um, and I think over the years experience has taught me that um, like what I was saying there music can make or break the, the film and so if some Somebody's not feeling it. There's probably a good, there's probably a reason for that. Do you know what I mean? And especially if it's a key stakeholder, they might well know the audience better. They may well know you know where it's going to be shown better. And if they're not feeling it or it's not quite gelling, um, then yeah, there may be something wrong. You, you know, maybe we do look at uh, an alternative route. And so um, yeah, I, over the years, experience has taught me that you, you, by changing the track, sometimes you you know you do you can get a better outcome. I think it's frustrating for editors a lot of the time, especially because they work for weeks. You know, crafting the you know the film to a set track. However, you know, I would say more times than not, by changing the music, you as long as you put as much effort and as much love into finding the next track, um, it can work just as well, if not better. I really like that angle because it comes from a place of having uh, met like respect for the client, and I've been in many situations where on the creative side, because as you know, I, you know, I suppose I identify more as a creative than a producer, and you fall in love with your own creation, and that's the best thing I've ever made, it's, yeah. it's you know, it, it should be getting Oscars, but it won't, and then, yeah. you know, when the client doesn't like it, we always go, well, they just don't know what they're talking about, they just base it on their own tastes, but that's a really good angle, it's like, look, they make the product, and they likely are so obsessed with making sure it sells that they know where it works. You know their audience as well. That's especially in our field where you know it's a closed. It's, it's normally a, a um, closed group of people, um, and that client could have been working with that closed group of people for multiple, multiple years. Now, just because you know um, we all think it's really, really cool and it's going to you know attract the masses their audience demographic could be very very different you know their audience demographic could be you know 50 to 70 year olds for all you know uh, and so i mean don't get me wrong we do get that information beforehand but um they'll they'll know what kind of people they you know they're generally dealing with and so i always think it's worth factoring in absolutely I, I, you know um experience has taught me that and, and um, yeah it, it it does go a long way Let's talk about uh, your music taste. Give me a, a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what it's what most people wonder about, but rarely get to hear. So I've got uh, unfettered access. Um, give me a, a record that changed your life, if there is one. You know, a single record. Changed my life. Um, 
Uh, I would say um, I I grew up in a uh, a really good time as a teenager. I would say, which was sort of the you know the the early to late nineties. Uh, so from you know um, without well, I'll give you my age. <laughs> I was going to say without giving me age, but I'm forty now. So in you know ninety three, I was thirteen, fourteen, um, and and so in about ninety five, being fifteen, sixteen, um, when the Britpop explosion happened, and you know we had. The, all these like cool bands coming out of the northwest of England, um, you know London as well, obviously with Blur and um, uh, Pulp from oh no Pulp were there they were up north weren't they? they was, uh, Sheffield. Sheffield. Yeah, uh, Jarvis. Um, but yeah, no. Um, uh, as far as it goes, the the Britpop era was my uh, was what sort of crafted my teenage years. And so I'd have to say, as if for one album that stood out, it'd probably be um, the Charlatans, the Charlatans, which was uh, I think '95. Um, just an absolutely great album. Um, and for me, when I look back at that era, that's that's the album that sort of defines that era for me. So were you just like a, a fraction too young to be? On the on the fault line of when the Stone Roses became the defining. Yeah, I mean they were still. Um, well, the second coming had just been uh, released. Uh, I think that was ninety four, ninety three, ninety four, maybe. Um, and so that was a big album at the time. Um, and obviously, you know, we were all we were really into uh, the earliest stuff. But but yeah, I, I think you're right. I was just a bit young. To, I always remember thinking, you know. I wish I was a few years older. I wish um, I was, you know, three, four, five years older. I've got a cousin actually that's about five years older than me, and he was really into, you know, he went and saw the Smiths and the Roses and, you know, all those, um, you know, the, the the early sort of indie bands, as I would say, or the, you know, the, the start of that scene. Um, and you know, I mean, don't get me wrong though, as far as growing up in teenage years that that era w was brilliant you know 95 through 97 98 was great you know the whole um economic revolution political revolution um you know music revolution style i mean the eyes of the world were focused on the uk at that time and you know it was a great thing to be part of it was um it was great you know we had you know we had nebworth we had mile end for blur huge huge you know gigs that um attracted massive numbers um so yeah it was, it was a great 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 time were you ever at any of those landmark gigs yeah i went to both of those uh, no i went way. to nebworth and i went to uh, mile end i think it was about 14 15 when i went to mile end uh and i mean how my parents let me go is unbeknown to me um but you know we there was uh, i think there were eight lads on a bus from Bury, you know, a coach from Bury down to uh, down to London, and uh, to go to this gig, and and it was great, you know, it was absolutely great. It was a full day event, and um, yeah, you know, same with with Nebworth, there was Main Road for Oasis as well, um, you know, great gigs, um, and you know, to be there to to have your sort of formative years during that period for me was great, you know. I don't know if it's been replicated since on a sort of you know a national level. Um, I can't think of any uh, other time but uh, then everyone says that don't you know so yeah I, I do understand what you mean though I we, we've all been discussing this for years about the fact that Nebworth um, in particular Oasis was maybe the last time that something like that was possible when everyone had the same four media channels to go through you, you know roughly like the same two tv stations the same yeah, two yeah. radio stations yeah. and um as you know with nebworth was that 96 i think so yeah it was probably around then wasn't it yeah 96 maybe 97 yeah something like was it what's the stats is it one in 20 of the population applied for tickets 
to Nerf. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that stat, but yeah, it's. Uh, I remember, you know, you had to ring up, didn't you, back then? You know, you had to literally. Well, I mean, you probably you still do now, I suppose, for the big big gigs. But yeah, you, you you ring up and you went on hold, and you know, it was real celebration time when we got tickets. It was like, yeah, come on, yeah. we're going. Yeah, yeah, the event, uh, the event of a lifetime, and I, I don't know how, I don't know how it felt to be there at the time. I won't depress you by telling telling you how old I was, uh, and when Nebworth happened, but, <laughs> but uh, I got, I get, I kind of get the impression that it felt like the eighties. You know, obviously you had Joy Division, and what were they roughly? Uh, I, I should know because I'm a music guy. About eighty two, something like that, seventy nine, um, and it was poor kids from industrial the you know the industrial north starting okay. to make some noise because obviously the smiths and that it's like poppy like the beatles but the beatles were you can't compare the biggest yeah. thing ever the the whole of the london you know like machine and the us music system just pushing them to the very yeah. top uh, this is when it felt like punk had happened so it's like ah normal people can make records so you got the smiths and you get the sort of the indie uh, and the post-punk momentum going through the 80s and it yeah. feels like it all built up to Oasis when it was like <laughs> yeah I think you know I, I think the media had a large part to play on that you know with the, when they put out the you know there was the the two singles that went head to head and you know when you look back I mean uh, uh, you know I'm sure um, the Gallagher brothers and, and Dave Narbonne admit that, that they weren't the best tracks to go up against each other it was oh you're it. referring to yeah Roll yeah. With It versus yeah. Country House yeah, and I mean, they weren't particularly great tracks, but that was like the biggest thing ever in the media at the time, wasn't it? Um, and, you know, I think, like you say, it had all been building up to that point, I would say. Um, and But there was a lot more and better music that came before it um, and, you know, uh, to a certain degree after it as well. You know, there were, I mean, I know Oasis went on a bit of a decline um, after, you know, their heyday, as it were, but, you know, Blur still turned out some good albums. And there was... Well, I forget the name of the album after that, but uh, it had Tender on, do you remember? And, um, of course, yeah. And all that. Yeah, uh, that was a really good album. Um, and, you know, and then there were more bands after that, weren't there? There was, you know, that went into the Kaiser Chiefs and the Killers and, the, mm. you know, and, and they all became really, really big, you know, big bands. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just think I got lucky uh, with the years I got as a teenager. And I think... I mean, you know, I'd love to have been at Spike Island. That was a few years, you know, I was a bit too young for that. That was, I mean, that's what started off the big, you know, yeah. the huge sort of festival event kind of gigs um, for for that, you know, that genre. Um, and, you know, I would have loved to have been there. I'm sure it was a great day out. Well, that was um, really thrown together, wasn't it? Uh, have you seen the, um, the Shane Meadows film, Made of Stone? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. I love that film because uh, the way what Mark Commode said about it is that there's no muck raking. This is an absolute like love letter to to Shane's favorite band. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were, you know, I mean, I went to um, the the gig. When was it? That was about two years ago at Heaton Park. Um, oh, are you kidding me? Two years ago, it was 2012. Was it really? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The last one was four years ago. I was there. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, Stadium. Wow. Um, yeah, no, I went to the Heat and Park gigs, and uh, it was it was great because you know you just looked around the whole of. I remember going into a pub in Presswich, uh, and there were there were guys that I'd seen you know like 15, 20 years earlier in clubs in the Hacienda in Forty Second Street around town, and I hadn't seen them literally in like fifteen odd years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, every all, all those indie kids were now just uh, you know a bit larger and a bit bolder <laughs> and hanging out at all these pubs in Presswich. Get ready to go and see the roses again. It was brilliant. 
flipping it. What does it feel like be, getting to that point? What what kind of feeling does it bring up where you see everyone that you used to know and in your head they were still 20? Oh yeah. Um, uh, it was, do you know what? It was great. Um, it was really, really good because, you know, we were, we were, it was like reliving a day of that youth again. It was brilliant. You know, we went on a full day. I mean, everyone was drinking from, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah. it was, it was, it was great. It was an absolute, um, you know, blast of a day. Um, and I mean, to be honest, if you've ever seen the roses live, I don't know if you have, but I mean, Ian Brown literally can't sing for toffee when he's live. <laughs> Um, yeah. but, um, but what a great, you know, performer um, and what a great, you know, it was a great gig. Um, but uh, yeah, vocals, <laughs> it was a very much a studio artist, isn't he, Imran? Yes, absolutely. But uh, I really, I, I, you know, my my heart melts a little bit, you know, when I saw all the dads taking their 12 or to 16 year old yeah. kids. And yeah. um, it's, uh, I can't, I can't think of the uh, the right way to put it, but it's something like there's a there's a cynical uh, slant usually put on nostalgia. But I, it looked like a day when ordinarily kind of working people or, you know, I, I don't know how to put it. It just seemed like a, it was a it was a celebration and it was a day yeah. full of positive feeling. Do you know what the the really brilliant thing for me was? Um, I think they've released two new singles, and you know, uh, looking back on them, they, they were they were okay, but they weren't great at all. Um, but they didn't go too far with that. Do you know what I mean? They recognised that actually, okay, we've got some new material. There's there's an opportunity here to get back together. Let's do a big gig. I'm sure it's very money oriented as well. But um, but you know, for for us as fans and everyone that was there, it was it was a chance to just you know hear all the tunes that you knew. Um, with the couple of ones, the new ones thrown in, but essentially it was a celebration of looking back at the, you know, at what um, at the past, and that they could still do it. Um, and I think, I think that was, yeah, I think that was the whole feeling, you know, of of the whole crowd and the band is, you know, we can still do this. Um, yeah, and that was. Great. I think that's what um, occurred to me um, earlier was I think with the Roses and uh, this really happens with Morrissey is I think those two bands in particular and maybe there's some others that you can think of that bring ordinarily uh, emotionally reserved blokes to their knees with like you know emotionality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You can see that. Guy. Yeah, there's. Um, I mean. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to think of others. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was the Charlatans for me. Yeah. I mean, Timber's still doing stuff now. Um, I saw a recent um, a clip on YouTube where we were performing with, um, and uh, I think it was the Halle Orchestra, uh, and it was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, I mean, you know, the, the Timber's and Charlatans continued to make albums, you know, right the way through the 2000s, 2010s, um, never quite as successful. But then, you know, the times moved on. The whole, you know, the, everything's moved on, and so people need new music they need new you know um you can't always heart back it's nice to heart back for a day but you know music progresses there's so many amazing new artists out there now um you know and it's great to listen to new music because you know constantly i mean i, I um i set myself a challenge of um listening to at least one album a month that's new um that you know i can get into and sometimes they're a hit sometimes they're a miss for me um but uh, I, I do like to make sure that i invest in an album um and I think Spotify has changed that. I think the whole, you know, Apple Music thing has, has changed the way we listen to music. Um, and not necessarily, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's got its pluses. You know, we've got the Sonos behind me there. You know, you can you can shout out um, the, you know, whatever tracks you want to listen to and it'll play them for you. It's great. 
But on the on the flip side of that is nobody listens to albums anymore. You know, nobody listens to an album from track one to track ten to track twelve or whatever it is. You know, in the way that an album is crafted for me uh, has always been a you know uh, it's a journey that they, they take you on, the artist takes you on, uh, and I love that. And I think you know to to um, to not play it at least once from it in its entirety is, is not doing the album any justice. So I do try and do that. No, you're absolutely right. I found that uh, I was never in my life listening to albums all the way through until i got into vinyl and uh i get i sense that you are a vinyl kind of guy i am i'm recently converted back to vinyl um uh lockdowns prompted it very much so um because um yeah i mean i I had a vinyl player up until you know the about 2000 and uh i got rid of the the hi-fi system as it were uh and i put all the vinyl up in the loft and it stayed in the loft for 20 years and i recently sort of invested in uh, a a nice new stanton um you know a direct drive proper um, turntable but now you can hook it up to the Sonos and, you know, it's great. You can, you know, you can have the vinyl playing throughout the house. It's absolutely brilliant. I don't actually um, do that. How do you do that? Uh, so you get a Sonos bridge um, or, you know, there's various other <laughs> other other makes uh, available out there. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you you buy a Sonos bridge and um, is it called a bridge? No, it's called a Connect, sorry. Sonos Connect. Uh, and you hook that up into the back of the amp and then you, when you play your record, it plays it out through Sonos. You send it to any of the Sonos speakers you've got in your house just great um but yeah i mean going back to playing you know the albums vinyl you've got no choice really you know or you've got limited choice you know you put it on and it plays the album it's great you get to listen to the full thing um and in terms of you know the way it sounds uh, i mean vinyl you just can't replicate that sound you know there's certain albums that you can put on and and you know it's the crackles and the you know the the the, it's just brilliant um so yeah very much uh, back into my vinyl now yeah, I um, had the privilege of digging out my dad's collection when I was uh, first getting into vinyl. Uh, I think a lot of people my age really had that advantage because uh, a lot of people, well, a lot of us, people my age, had parents who had hopefully preserved their old collection. And so, yeah, I was able to dig through and go, Fleetwood Mac rumours, yes. Marvin Gaye, what's going on? Yes. Thank you very much. Duran Duran, no. Never. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. My dad did not own a Duran Duran vinyl, but <laughs> but yeah. And so I put them on. I'm like, okay, it's going to be a bit, you know, crap and crackly, but whatever. And then it comes on. It's like this sounds perfect. How is it preserved? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it adds to it, doesn't it? The crackles and the uh, you know that sort of. It's it's just a lovely, lovely sound. I mean, I've got um, you know Rolling Stones albums. I think just sound the best through vinyl. Yes. Um, and it, you know, it's I mean the 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 intro to Gimme Shelter or um, you know, it's just an amazing thing to listen to. Um, and yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, it still sounds good through the digital formats. I'm sure they work very, very hard to to ensure that. But you know, in terms of uh, yeah. authentic. Um, sound i think vinyl you, you really can't wish it well it does feel like i don't know much about digital reproduction because i'm not you know i'm not a i'm not a computer yeah. guy i'm not a technician yeah. but um i do get the impression there's something about vinyl especially you know legacy vinyl the original stuff that's basically gone from master tape onto vinyl master and the straight across it's complete lossless transfer and you're listening to a very accurate reproduction of what was done in the studio yeah um, I mean, yeah, I'm sure you'd like to say, um, 
you know, compression adds a lot to the loss of sound when you, you know, you're streaming music. I mean, uh, there's, there's actually settings in, you know, the Sonos app or the Apple Music app. There's, there's quite a few settings where actually if you dig into them, you can turn off, um, you know, you can, you can select uncompressed, which is bound to give you a better sound. And, you know, I think when people are streaming things via, you know, 4G or whatever through the mobile and onto some headphones, you're bound to lose quality. You know, of course you are, because it'll, it'll give you the, the, the narrowest, you know, the, the smallest file size that they can send you to. So you can send it to your mobile or whatever, um, and so yeah, you're bound to lose quality. Um, so, and, and like you say, going from the master tape to a pressed vinyl and then playing it, you know, it's just brilliant. Yeah, I always feel like with the uh, the compression thing, uh, this happens in video as well. Obviously, I I I I, I don't do any like rendering a video or anything but is that a big challenge when you're running a film department and you've got all this huge stuff and you're like right we have to compress this down to a youtube yeah, uh, uh, yeah absolutely it happens all the time um i mean you know we can we can go out and shoot something in 8k format um and then you know we can edit it uh right the way through um and but then ultimately you know it might end up online in a you know in a uh, some you know an embedded website and and the maximum uh, file size you can have is 50 meg or something you know and we've got terabytes and terabytes of footage there you know that we've we've, we've whittled that down so we always you know uh, aim to deliver the best quality um output as we can so we always master at whatever format that is whether it be 4k whether it be you know hd um uh we always keep that because it's future proofing essentially you know at some point everyone you know will catch up i mean most people i would say nowadays probably have a 4k tv um the you know the issue is 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 what do they watch on that 4k tv you know there's no 4k bbc yet there's no 4k so you limited to your options you can watch netflix at 4k but only if you pay the top subscription which yeah. you know a lot of people don't um so you know every, but then everything's future proof so you know if you've shot it at 4k you've edited it at 4k you've mastered it at 4k uh, okay it might end up at 720p on on you know um uh, an internal website or a, you know um an externally facing website but you've always got the 4k master to fall back on yeah, i mean th this is kind of what we were saying about the vinyl it's like don't make everything subject to the constraints of the day because yeah. if you were you know making um it well so there's two examples to think of one in music one in film but the music is obviously just the vinyl itself it's like well let's record it at very low quality because nothing can reproduce these frequencies <laughs> but 30 years later we're so grateful that they did make it oh, yeah. like full spec. i mean the, the, the great i remember going to um in in the broadcast industry there's a big um conference that happens every year called ibc it's in amsterdam every september and i remember going years and years and years ago and ari who make um cameras and lighting for film equipment they they were showcasing uh their digital um 35 mil film uh, scanner essentially so what it does is it takes like the, the reel to reel tapes you've got behind you it takes the film that you know was originally shot mm -hmm. and it takes it frame by frame it scans it in digitally and i mean it does it you know a rate of knots um but i remember thinking this is brilliant because now we're going to get you know the absolute full quality um digitally and that's where you know you got these digitally remastered kind of um versions of things uh, and it you know which that's technology helping, you know, uh, that's technology working hand in hand with, you know, with a craft. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah, I um, don't know where you were, let's say, what, about 10, 10 or 12 years ago when Blu-ray was the thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, got, I got into that because I, yeah. I mean, I was stupidly young and I was like 18 or something. I was like, oh, let's just save all my, you know, part-time job money for Blu-rays, now completely obsolete. But yeah. um, I watched 2001 A Space Odyssey for the first time on Blu-ray and I was like, thank God they shot this in 70 mil. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, Blu-ray as a format was great. You know, it was significantly better than DVD. Um, but at the time, nobody knew that the streaming revolution was happening, you know, going to come. Yeah. And no, um, you know, nobody knew the quality that you could get through streaming, at the, which sounds mad now. But, you know, at the time, everything was on a physical format. You know, all your Christmas presents were, were, were DVDs or, you know, CDs. It's just all gone now. It's completely, you know, a, a digital streaming, whether that be music or film, everything's streamed now, um, which, you know, is great and convenient um, until it comes to Christmas when you don't know what to buy. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely um, right. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the ease of it and, the you know, the um, the immediacy of it is great. I mean, there's, you know, they can, you, can, you can put programs up straight, you know, straight away. It's, um, you know, albums are released straight away. You're not waiting for, you know, X amount of thousand copies to be pressed. You know, you can be up and online uh, onto a streaming service immediately. It's great. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very, I mean, that, that I think the, the music industry is still... Um, trying to realign itself after it you know it was built on a, on a business model that meant you know we have to invest what do we have to invest in you 30 grand for studio time in you know for full production of the asset and then we have to invest 50 grand to get all the things sold so we're already 80 grand in uh, yeah. things pressed so we're 80 grand in the hole then we need to sell x many copies oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's um, the, the world has changed, and I, I know a lot of artists now get a lot of the revenue from from gigs, don't they? I mean, ticket prices went through the roof, didn't they? You used to be able to go and see a band for what you know, ten, fifteen quid, and you're now looking at you know seventy to a hundred for some gigs, yes. aren't you? It's, uh, I mean, but that's the way they make a lot of the revenue these days, um, and you know, which. I still think you know to to see a live gig is brilliant, um, and so you know I, I think it's just you, you just have to accept that, that that the world has changed and that ticket prices have gone up, and you know please go and see bands. Still, it's um, you know it's, it's still a great thing to do. Yeah, I get the uh, impression. Or you know what occurs to me when people are saying you know why why is this why is the gig so expensive? Why is it seventy five eighty quid? And I sympathise, uh, but then you also think the the money was going to be replaced somewhere. And when did you last buy music? Yeah, exactly. When do you? Know, how much do you think they're getting from you know Spotify month? It's not as much as if you'd have bought their CD. Um, no. so yeah, you're essentially buying your CD and your ticket, aren't you? At the same time, I'm probably the deep. But you know, um, yeah, it, it's it's the way of the world today, isn't it? And I think we need to to, to fight hard to keep those live gigs going and to keep. You know, to keep because otherwise there's there's, there's no point. There's no there's no you know um, we're just going to lose artists. We're going to lose upcoming artists because you know there's, there's there's not any money to be made. And I think that would be a travesty because you know how much would our culture suffer if if musicians just decided to go? Ah, you know what? It's not worth it. I'll go and do something else. Um, and you know it'd be an absolute travesty. Yeah, well, they all have to do what I ended up having to do, which is work for uh, advertisers. So uh, the, <laughs> you're only going to see new music in adverts in ten years. That's the, that's the, the rule. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, um, it, it, hopefully, um, hopefully the, the music industry. I mean, it, it has it has adapted, hasn't it? it you know, yeah. uh, everyone's looked to the model that you know. I mean, it was Napster, wasn't it, that started the whole thing, and then everyone's looked to you know looked to adapt. I mean, there's the classic story of you know Blockbuster were offered to buy Netflix at an early point weren't they and they were like it's never going to work um clearly proven wrong the yeah. same 
I should imagine with a lot of the record companies when when Napster went digital, um, you know, I don't think anybody foresaw how huge and uh, a shift in dynamics that would be. Um, and you know, it has, and I think you know it's brilliant. I think now, if anything, now it's gonna it's, it's going to be you know which service do you buy? Do you go Amazon? Do you go Spotify? Do you go you know Apple Music? Do you go uh, Deezer? There's so many out there, um, and you know which one do you choose and why do you choose? Um, you know, that's 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 the next phase, isn't it? And how many are there going to be? Yeah, yeah. I've had. Um, I don't know about the music streaming because you can sense that's just that's a, a new. Mm, it's a newly forming battle. You know, clash of very aggressive titans. Like yeah. I think, I just think the next five or ten years, maybe five. Apple Music, Spotify, and YouTube and Amazon are just going to scrap like there's no tomorrow. Because yeah. I don't know if you saw that uh, Spotify just bought Joe Rogan's podcast for a hundred million dollars. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I did that in the news. That's crazy money, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And not only is the money uh, a significant factor, what they bought is his entire archive of assets and the rights to publish the video. Ergo, uh, I think Joe Rogan is one of the first YouTubers, let's say, because this stuff goes on YouTube and yeah. gets millions and millions of views within hours, and it's not going to be on YouTube anymore. Spotify have stolen a video asset from YouTube. Yeah, so you, you I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like ITV stealing a BBC show, isn't it? Essentially, it's the same sort of thing. You'd now have to watch it on a different format. Um, but yeah, that will be it. It'll be the artists, hopefully, that um, you know dictate where you go to, uh, which service you use. Um, you know, I remember, um, you know, didn't Amazon Prime's um, uh, subscription skyrocketed, didn't they, when uh, they, they bought Top Gear, essentially, they bought, yeah. you know, they launched the, you know, uh, the Top Gear thing, uh, you know, uh, it, it is, it's about getting the right talent and the right, um, you know, the right programs. I mean, Netflix have got it absolutely sewn up at the moment. Yeah. Um, with the documentaries, with you know the the film releases, I mean they they are doing amazing amazing work, and you know I think that's going to be the challenges. I mean Apple have launched their Apple TV um, you know programming service, and you know that they've got to catch Netflix. They've got to you know if they're going to be a contender, they've either got to catch them, catch them quick, or I think it will just drop off. Um, yeah, interesting to see how that plays out. I've had a feeling that uh, I've had this theory, which is what idiots like me say when I, you know, you mean I thought something without validation. Um, <laughs> that at some point soon, you're gonna arrive at a point where it's like, all right, I can have BritBox for 10 or a month, I can have Netflix for 10 or a month, I can have Amazon, I can have, and then you, you start spiraling Disney okay. Plus, and some, I'm, I've got a suspicion that some smart, you know, Steve Jobs-esque type person is gonna go, look, let's just fold them all into one and call it a TV license. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Do you know what would be even cleverer though? Is in theory you could you could buy multiple licenses, package them all as one, and then you know for every one license you had, four people are not going to watch it at the same time. Let's say, and you could work out some kind of algorithm to to slot people onto the right license, given when other people are not watching. Yeah. Cost saving there, and you know, I'm sure some uh, somebody very, a lot more clever than me will work out how to do that. Um, but yeah, no, you, you're totally right. I mean, the BritBox thing, I just really didn't get that. I mean, you're essentially paying again for free content. Yeah. You know, it, I, I just didn't get that. But um, do you think you know, it maybe is like an indicator of like it's it's in a, it's the canary in the mine. It's like BBC and ITV saying this is gonna go. So yeah, 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 possibly. Um, I mean, you know, the BBC have still got the license fee, um, you know, revenue, but uh, I know that 
that doesn't make up anywhere near what they need for programming. You know, it's um, there's a lot of uh, investment goes on behind the scenes in the programming. So, you know, I, I hope that, you know, doesn't get damaged. But, I mean, if you think about it, I don't know what, I can only speak from personal experience and, you know, friends and colleagues' experience, but, I mean, the amount of people that watch live TV anymore, it's it's narrowing massively, isn't it? You know, when was the last time, you know, you saw an advert in real time without being able to fast forward it or, you know, skip it or, you know, it's um, it, it, it's it's dwindling and that will change advertising, well, certainly television advertising, um, because the demand you know i mean obviously you've got the youtube advertising and whatnot but then when you talk about the streaming services you know there's no advertising on netflix there's no you know um amazon prime i think amazon prime uh no actually they just do internal advertising don't they um so they advertise their own programming or films coming up but um yeah it, it's it's um it's a changing market for sure yeah i i well i mean one thing that was i think will remain the case and it might not because whose predictions are ever true but is that um brands and people who make consumer goods will still need space to tell people about those goods and will still make an offer to the people who have all the eyeballs you know yeah. i i don't think that netflix will be a stark paywall forever i think you'll be able to watch netflix with adverts at some point i don't yeah. know what form that'll take i don't think it'll be as easy as that but it'll be something Oh well, you, 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 I'm sure they'll they'll do something where it'll be a nominal fee to watch it with adverts, and a more expensive fee to watch it without them. You know, um, and you know, let the user decide. Um, maybe a you know a, a path they might want to go down, but you know, the revenue that's there to be made from advertising must be hard for them to resist. You know, absolutely. Yep. You know, but then you know, you look at uh, didn't Netflix recently um, reach the same share price as uh, I think Shell Oil or something like that? It was like you know an absolutely ridiculous amount of um, money they're making from subscriptions, which you know obviously lockdowns projected that into uh, yeah. into a whole new uh, whole new category. But um, you know, every everybody does talk about what have you what have you watched on Netflix, what have you watched on Amazon, what have you especially during you know uh, this current lockdown. Yeah, and you t and you take a you take a lesson from that that you could get take back to the brands and the people for whom we're making the advertising content, which is why do we watch Netflix? Well, you and I have already talked about this. It's because they make the best stuff. It's because the yeah. Defiant ones was amazing. It's because what's it called the Michael Jordan one? Uh, the uh, the last dance. The last dance. Them. Because everyone says that's the best thing they've ever seen. You oh. have to make great content. It, it, so for me, it's not as good as the Defiant ones. That was an, a standout. That's probably one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, the last dance is very, very good, and it's very, very um, well made, and it gives you a whole, you know, new appreciation of Michael Jordan and that Bulls team. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, the Defiant ones. The the the, the um, for, for anyone who's watching this and not seen it, please go and watch it. Yeah. But um, the Defiant Ones is the story of Jimmy Iovine and uh, Dr. Dre, who grew up on opposite coasts of America. And, you know, one was, um, you know, uh, an Italian um, uh, guy from Brooklyn, and the other um, grew up in the, um, what was it, Compton, wasn't it? Compton, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, the story of how their, their two lives uh, progressed and the, the, the turns that they took throughout the music business. And then ultimately, came together uh, further down the line to form Beats Music and then the Apple Cellar and it, it was just an amazing amazing you know roller coaster of story that was brilliantly told you know it, it flipped from one to the other didn't it seamlessly as you went through the years 
um, and there were such you know uh, you know different stories, but then ultimately weaved into one. It was brilliant. It's a real modern day rags to riches story as well, because those yeah. guys both started dirt poor, and again in very different communities, and came together to make. You know, uh, the first billion dollar deal, I think, wasn't it? They, Dre was the first billionaire in hip hop, and you know, I, yeah, I think the guys got bought out for like three billion dollars by the biggest tech company in the world. Yeah, you know, um, from working on the docks, from loading trucks. Yeah, that was it. It was from uh, it was Hell's Kitchen, wasn't it, Jimmy Iovine? Mean, um, yeah. I mean, the story of who you know, this. I mean, the Jimmy Iovine story on its own was amazing. You know, right. working with um, John Lennon, and then it was. Um, uh, Stevie Nicks and there was uh, Tom Petty and all those when they it was like right the way through the 70s and um, yeah, through the 80s and whatnot Fleetwood Mac and yes. um, and then you know and then you've got the uh, you know the the NWA story on on the other side of yeah, the coast amazing That's, you know we we I'm sure everyone's seen the straight out of Compton film that was an amazing story as well of you know like you say rags to riches you know um, and yeah you put them two together and it was like whoa this this is an amazing doco. And for Dre to just be like, as well as everything, I also produced the biggest rapper ever. I don't know if you've heard of Eminem. Yeah, yeah. have you met Eminem and uh, yeah, Snoop? And uh, yeah, it was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, such uh, incredibly, both incredibly, incredibly talented guys um, and, you know, masters of what they do. Uh, and yeah, uh, who could blame them for, you know, they, they came up with a great business idea there that ultimately made them more money than both the music ventures put together. And yeah. fair play, you know, it's, it takes it takes character and it takes, you know, um, intelligence to do that and fair play. And That's so awesome. Netflix have packaged all that up and um, given us a... a, a something that's going to hold our attention and we're talking about it with this amount of enthusiasm this is why people go to netflix and i you know i have a feeling that i don't want to say anything obvious everyone that everyone would already say as in our industry but you know there's a kind of assumption that I feel like there's an axiom baked into advertising that people don't really want to see it and they have to be forced to see it so what, when we get music briefs we a lot of it is uh, if it's a sync, you know, a, a sync thing where we have to go and search for an existing track, they say, "Can you make sure it's attention grabbing? Because otherwise, people won't look at it." We have to make advertising that people will be uh, happy to see, even if they don't want the thing they're being sold. So, you know, and it won't make sense if it's a great idea. It doesn't have to make sense. I always say, it's, you know, imagine going to that pitch and you're like, "All right, so it's um, a gorilla in a rehearsal room playing Phil Collins." Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Ca this is Cadbury's. How does that sell the product? Just just go with me on this. Go with it, yeah. <laughs> no, great, great idea. Um, yeah, um, I mean, you know, we, we do um, quite a lot of work where, I mean, uh, House Links as a company has, has taken creative directors from all around the different agencies and pulled them into healthcare um, because, you know, and it's a hard sell, let's be fair. You know, if, if you're working at McKenzie, you're working at, you know, JWT, you're working, you know, um, BGL, um, it's, you know, you're taking them out of a retail environment and bringing them into healthcare. The, the difference is we're doing healthcare to a to a, a creative standard that you know meets advertising standard, and um, I think that's where we get some amazing campaigns, um, campaign ideas through, um, and you know they are hard sell to a lot of our clients. So you know you, you're taking uh, traditionally um, quite reserved, um, you know. Uh, uh, therapy areas and you know you're, you're injecting this creativity and you know and if the clients I mean brilliantly we've got an amazing array of clients who have belief in us uh, belief enough to to go with us in pitches and the results speak for themselves you know we're getting amazing amazing feedback about these campaigns and you know really actually changing people's lives which is great.
Well, you know, that is what I like to hear. People going to work and being satisfied with the with their day's graft. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, um, yeah, go on. You were saying. Um, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's uh, it's hard work. You know, it's um, it's uh, it's a great company to work for. There's a great culture in uh, in House Links, um, but it is. It's work hard and play hard. You know, it's um, there's there's a lot of hours go in. There's a lot of um, you know. Uh, hard work goes into to creating you know some amazing amazing pieces um but ultimately you know it's it's also the the rewards are there you know we, we have a great culture um uh, there's 430 40 people now uh, and yeah uh, it, it's there's a great array of people you know from medical writers to you know um, film team to uh, creatives to um, copywriters designers art workers the full you know the, the full spectrum um, and you know to have so many talented people um, within one business is, is, is really really refreshing well sounds good to me <laughs> <laughs> And so I look forward to basically where uh, the time when everyone can actually get back to the office yeah. again because I imagine there's a big social element missing from a team like that. Yeah, it is. I mean, everyone's. I mean, as an example, we had um, one of my guys was getting married or supposed to be getting married today. Oh man! Um, and so yesterday we we set up a Zoom call and we all uh, put our suits and ties and you know the dresses and the fascinators were on and we did you know the you can change your background to you know a wedding background uh, and we we had a full wedding um, Zoom call for him and it was great you know everyone had a glass wow. of champagne in hand and it was nice. Um, so you've got to do what you've got to do to to kind of you know make the best of this situation and you know people are coming up with really creative ideas to uh, to do that but ultimately yeah i think everyone is missing that you know that day-to-day -day social interaction of being around other people um and but you've got to put safety first there's no two ways about it. you've got to put safety first and um you know if it's another six months before we can get back into the office normally then it's another six months um and i think you know we, we've just got to be mindful of that everything's working as it is i think it will change the way you know businesses as a whole work uh, going forward i think you know uh, um there are certain benefits to to being able to work remotely but you know there are like you mentioned there are you know certain downfalls and i think as long as as long as we we find a nice balance between those um i think that's where uh, you know most businesses will land is that it, there will be more flexible working um as a result of this um but i think the office based culture um still needs to be preserved i think it's, yeah. it's, people are missing each other yeah well, uh, on the note of the workday, you've given me uh, a good, a good ba uh, best part of an hour there. So what I'm going to do is, this is basically Steve. Ed, is this Steve? You can cut here because I'm just going to do a bit of talking. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, um, it's been really, really good fun. Um, I've enjoyed it a lot. I was gone extremely quickly. So um, yeah, thank you very much for having me on this. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on, and I look forward to the. Uh, the much discussed return to normal. I hate to say the new normal, so I won't say it. And uh, we'll we'll see you when the curtain rises. Take care. Thanks a lot, Greg. Bye. Thanks, man.